Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I come from recovery from uh, alcohol AA, and uh, I've been sober for 22 years now. And uh, in that process, they presented mostly in, in recovery. It's presented as the root of the problem is obsession with self. Yeah? The symptoms of drinking and drugs are just symptoms. The real dilemma or the real disease is you're obsessed with this idea of being Paul. Now, after about nine or ten years in the program, I didn't. I came to another conclusion. It didn't seem to be what was really happening to me. And, and I had been introduced to this idea of non-duality. And so with the sense of non-duality, which is there is no long-lasting independent separate entity. And if you ever hear of Buddhism... They would call it that nothing, no object or thing has any inherent existence. Everything is truly empty. Empty of what? Of being a separate, long-lasting, independent thing or self. That's all, this, all there is is that, this one energy, let's say. And then the consciousness is appearing as itself in this place. So consciousness coming through an apparatus called the body gets to experience itself as other. But all there is is this one medium say one energy, you want to call it awareness or consciousness. So applied to recovery was, alright, so I was working in the recovery program for nine, ten years trying to struggle with this obsession with self because the head is running an advertising constantly about how I'm going to be, how it was, how you are, how it's going to be, how I am, and all like this. It's what we call in recovery, it's very, I want to spend a lot of time on this, the act of reliance on self yeah, and that's being identified as it, really, is playing God. Your head plays God. It tells you how you are. It tells you how you're going to be. It forecasts how everything's going to go based on how it thinks it was. Yeah. And it plays God. And it, the only how, But the thing is, it isn't God, but it uses your sort of God-like juice because you are an incredible uh, energy. But it's, when it's defined by self-centeredness, it becomes a very small energy. It's sort of like this huge energy has to squeeze through a very small window. Yeah, Self-centered is a very small system of thought and interpretation. And most of us are suffering from the disease of self-centeredness. Everyone is recovering from something here. Alcoholics and addicts are just extreme examples of self-centeredness. And actually, we have a lot to teach other people. Because it's the same thing. There, it, all it is is a difference in degrees. They may be relieving their self-centeredness by watching movies or shopping. We do it by getting loaded. And that furthers, a, uh, it's an explosive demonstration because it creates consequences. Their consequences may be more quiet, yeah, but it still has consequences in their lives. We're just an extreme example of self-centeredness running wild. Yeah. So when I looked at this idea, all right, so I've been struggling with self as if it was a you know, antagonist, and I have to wrestle with, and it seems to be in my thoughts. Yeah? When I looked at it from this other view, that the real root of the problem is I'm identified as a self. I'm actually identified as a thought. That the mental process is producing a sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's almost like a, so a thought wrapped in a feeling. Yeah? You have a sense that you are you. It seems to be authentic, but you have to realize what's delivering that authenticity and what's receiving the authenticity isn't authentic. It's the whole system is relying on itself. So the mental process is producing this feeling and this sense of being a self. Yeah? And now that sense of being a self 
rises above and now thinks it's having the mental process. Because what I've noticed with the activity of selfing, I like to call it selfing, the activity of selfing, one of its first movements is the claim. Yes? So the, the mental process produces this sense of being a self. It rises above the process and it claims, I'm the thinker. Yeah? It rises above the body, I'm the body, or I have the body. Yes? It now has your time. It now has a life. It has, it claims everything. Every feeling is now my feeling. These are my opinions. These are my habits. And it reinforces, or it actually, through its activity, it makes the flesh and blood of being a self. You actually, and then obviously you're perceiving this body all day, so you're taking the self to be you. Yeah. So the self, the mental process is aligned and reinforced by the perception of the body. So you feel like you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Now, when that happened, when I came into AA and I looked back at my situation in, in uh, life being an addict, and I sat there, when I came into a meeting like this, let's say there was an AA meeting, and I sat in there, I was suffering from incredible terminal uniqueness. Yeah? I thought no one had my thoughts, no one ever had my feelings, so therefore I, was, I could not be understood, so I had an immunity or I had a deterrence to hearing anything from any outside source, because how could they... It can't apply to me. They don't understand how different and unique I am. And, of course, no one ever did the heinous things that I did in life. So I came into AA, and I sat down, and 45, 50 people were there, maybe, and they started sharing yeah, about their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions. So after about a month, I could only come to two conclusions. Either they, they have my thoughts, my feelings, or my, or my reactions, or they're not my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions. And so the first leap was I realized the thoughts I was having could be called alcoholic thoughts. The feelings I was having was generated by alcoholism. And my reactions to life were what an alcoholic would do, reacting to life. And so by sharing and hearing people, I started getting out of this sense of that decentering or the impersonal. I started to see what was ex extremely personal as a little less personal, and I started to feel relief. Yeah. So I could see a thought, because every one of us is conscious, and you're actually not, I don't believe we're thinking thoughts, you're seeing them. The apparatus thinks the thought, yeah, the brain and everything, but you're, you are the awareness of those thoughts. You see the thought, and the thought usually triggers feelings and stuff like that, but you see it. You, not, you are not the thinker of the thought. <laughs> That's my experience with it. So there's the seeing of the thoughts. And when I, I would always see the thoughts, and I'd be holding the thought as they're about me or I'm the thinker. And this broke this little loop because I realized these are alcoholic thoughts. And what I identify with in, in a meeting of AA is not who you are, it's what's taking you over. Because the same, I call it a parasite almost. It's almost like in Indian philosophy, called, they call them samskaras, which are deep mental grooves. Yeah? Deep, deep habits of mind, of conditioned mind. Well, alcoholism is like a deep habit or addiction is a deep, conditional habit of mind. Yeah? It has a very strong trough and it grabs your interest and attention and it directs it in your life. And it's very difficult to reclaim it, especially as the product of the mental process, as a self. There's no relief. Self can't get out of self. How could something that's been made by a system transcend the system? How could a mental, the product of a mental process ever leave the mental process? 
That's why it says in recovery, we say self can't get out of self. It's impossible, because if self could get out of self, there wouldn't, it wouldn't be a self. <laughs> it can't go anywhere, you see? It can't leave the system. Because it's a thought, and it's being reinforced by your little daily narrative all day. You're, the story your head's telling you about life is based on being a center of self. That's all it is. And it reinforces, to me, the, the daily narrative is, or what we would call in recovery, the obsession with self, is really the way the identification is reinforced every day. Because it's not a natural bonding agent. You see, to me, alcoholism is a very hostile parasite. And self-centeredness is a parasite, actually, too. I, take, I view it as such, yeah? It's a very hostile parasite. So for it to take over the host and keep the host at bay, it has to have an incredible strategy. Because most hosts, if it would be attacked by this parasite, would want to throw it off like that immediately because it's a very hostile takeover. Anyone who has ever had alcoholism, they were much different when they were a kid than what they turn out to be. So here's this thing that's wanting to take us over. What would be the greatest strategy? It was like, the, if you ever see those great white sharks and they have the little fish nearby their mouths and the fish are eating, get little crumbs and they get incredible protection. No other fish is going to mess with them. But they're greedy. They want more security. So they have a little powwow and they go, well, what can we do to make us, our lives more secure? Well, let's convince the shark it needs us. So in a sense, this parasite has convinced us that we're it. It presents an image, a conceptual idea of being a self, backed by a lot of conditioning and memory, yes? And it hijacks, interprets all the feelings and reroutes it back into that memory. So in AA we call uh, one of the major things in recovery is resentment. Yeah? Resentment is the number one killer for addicts and alcoholics. You get, you, you get angry. You, have, you feel like you, it's re-feeling something. But I believe all, all we're doing in this modality of selfing is re-feeling and rethinking, and rehashing, and representing. That's all it does. The mental process represents conscious contact. Yeah. So conscious contact to me is feeling, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching. Like Lord Buddha said, when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you feel, feel, when you taste, taste, when you touch, touch. Yes? That's what's happening. Consciousness is in contact with this place through those five gates. And in Buddhism they call the mind the sixth gate. So we're seeing thoughts like, I would see a bird fly by this window. My eyes are open. I'm seeing thoughts. I'm not thinking thoughts. There's no thinker of a thought. It's, I'm a, a witness of the thoughts. What I truly am is the consciousness. I am not the mental process. So here I am. Consciousness is engaged or interfaced with this place through these doors. And we call it conscious contact. See? They're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. But the mental process sees that, recognizes it, and claims it. I'm seeing. Paul is seeing you. Yeah? So the, the emphasis on the seeing is, is missed, and now the emphasis on who's seeing and what's being seen. And this is true dualism. See? So, because I'm always going to be the seer of everything seen, the hearer of everything heard, the feeler of everything felt, the taster of everything tastes, yes? And the smeller of everything smelled. So everything out there is going to be an object to me as the subject. This. This is going to be what's conscious. Paul is conscious. Paul is not conscious. I'm actually conscious of the idea of being Paul. I'm sitting here. I am aware of my mind's presentation of an idea of who I am. I can see it. 
Yeah, because what I'm not Paul, I'm not seeing from Paul, I'm seeing from consciousness. And so I see the construction of Paul. Where before I wasn't, I was seeing from Paul my whole life. Yeah? I thought I was conscious. I was the one who was seeing, feeling, tasting. And that claiming of conscious contact gives me a right to have a story. And my mind starts writing up the story about all my conscious contact in life. And it changes freaking everything. It, it, it narrates, it, it edits, it takes this out, puts this in, because it has an agenda. Contrary to the one you may believe you have, which is to be happy, joyous, and free, well, if, that, if that's your agenda, and you find that you're not, something's off. If your agenda is to be right and special, you're more getting closer to the parasitical agenda. It wants to be special. It wants to be unique and different, and it definitely wants to be right. <laughs> and you know what happens when you get to be right? You get to be... <laughs> usually you're alone. <laughs> Not a very, it's not in a very expansive state when you're being right, because someone has to be wrong. Yes. So here in this, so when this idea of there's a presentation, and it's a verb to me, selfing is a verb, there is no self. The verb of selfing, the mental process is verbing, selfing, and there's an illusion of a noun. Yeah? There's a sense or a feeling that you take, the consciousness gets sort of like tainted, not really, but captured, and it becomes identified as the mental process. Yeah? And so now, there's a sense of being a noun. So now Paul is now the noun that's doing all the verbing. But all there is is verbing. All there is is consciousness, verbing, meeting, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. There is no noun that's the receiver and the, and the giver of it. Yeah. So in my view, what happens when you start entertaining this, you, you see... Life is happening. When you're entertaining selfing, you're seeing life is happening to me. It's a totally different way of viewing things. Yeah? When I'm seeing life is happening, it's a much broader vision, and a lot more possibilities are available. When I'm seeing life is happening to me, that me is giving everything all the meaning it has. Yeah? And that me has a lot of damn meaning, I'm telling you. So let's say there's a thought goes by in my head. Yeah? Simple. Well, let's, we could do it up here in a second. Let's put the word money up here. And let's put the word relationship up here. And let's put the word sex up here. And everyone, your mind gives it a meaning, yeah? If you don't have any money, it may have a bigger meaning than if you have one. If you haven't had any sex, it may be a real big meaning. Well, sex, money, relationship. Now, just, you want to change the weight of that? I can change it instantaneously. Just put the little word my in front of it. My money. My sex. My relationship. Yeah? The my represents the act of identification. That's what the mental process itself is doing. Yeah? So money isn't seen as money, it's seen as my money. And that my injects a lot of meaning into the concept of money. The money is not bringing you the meaning. You're injecting the meaning into it. You think you're perceiving the, the thought, but the thought is just a carrier of old meanings. Your conditionality is injecting it when you call the thought yours. And when you call a feeling your feeling, that feeling is, and how it makes it yours, is it injects old feeling memories. Yes, 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 yes. So here's a thought, it's just a thought, until it becomes my thought. Yeah? A thought is just a thought. A thought has a nature to come and go, but as soon as it becomes your thought, it's the beginning of a novel. Yeah? My thought. Yeah? Check it out. 
So here's a thought, here's a thought, here's a thought, here's a thought, here's a thought. You're not saying this is my thought every day. There's an underlying belief that you're the thinker of it. Is it? You believe you're doing it, obviously. Because the whole premise of being a self is you're the doer and haver. How, whose life would it be anyway if you weren't the doer of it? So the mental process has to present the idea that you're the doer and haver of this life. Yeah? And it keeps that in place with the word my. So everything becomes about my. And when that my couples with a thought or a vision or a smell or what you hear or you, anything, that coupling, there's an injection of old ideas and old feelings and old memories from the system into that thought, into that what you saw, into what you felt, into what you heard, and then you react to the meaning your mind has given it. You actually don't experience life anymore. You're living an interpretation of life. So life is presenting the canvas, but your mental process is, is splashing all the colors on it. Yeah? And, so, and you believe it's actually real and solid and inherently true, and so it's either coming at you and it's, life is imposing its will on me. No, it's actually, you're giving it all the meaning it has. Not you as Paul, because there isn't one, but the idea of Paul is the, it, is the conduit for all those meanings, which you are probably not aware of, most of them. There are a lot of unconscious memories and all this conditionality, but they get injected into everything that you are in contact with, because it's interfaced with the mind. Yeah, there's a claiming of it. So, as soon as you see something, it becomes the same old, same old. And you react from the same old, same old. And that's why a lot of people, especially addicts, feel life is stale and empty. So they want to jazz it up a little bit. They want to get freaking loaded. It's an unbearable loop they're in. Yeah. And I would see the type of alcoholic and act I was, I was willing to pay any consequence tomorrow not to feel uncomfortable now. And I was feeling quite uncomfortable with this identification of self. I mean, my host was not feeling that well being taken over by this parasite. But I didn't know any better. Yes? So it's sooner or later, because every time I wanted relief, who was the one who answered that call? The problem itself. See, the thing with selfing, it's tricky. You may want to get out of self, but if you're identified as it, all your activity of getting out of self is actually included in being in self. It's got an incredible mechanism to keep the host at bay. Even your greatest desire to be free, it will be entertained as being free as that. Not from that, but as that. And of course, it's going to, de it's going to defeat your intentions. Yes? So, there's, there's a, a, almost like an observer that is not uh, whoever you, whatever... A witness, not an observer, because observer is still mental. It's based on conditionality. A, more of a witness. There's just a scene. See? Consciousness is actually predefined well. It's conscious. Or let's say awareness. The definition of awareness is pretty good. Its nature is to be aware. That's it. So there's an awareness. So I am aware of what's happening. Yes? And, uh, and okay, this awareness yeah. is what? Is it like part of the energy? Or I don't know what the hell it is tell you the truth, but what I know is I know what I'm not, which is the information I've needed. What I am, I don't know, because see, the thing is, if you look at the non-duality thing as Cesar presented it, there's no, there's no separation between you and that source, so how can you know it? See, you're knowing from it all day. 
That's the dilemma. See, we want to know it so that we as this can have an experience of it. You can't have an experience of it because there is no we as this. It's, all, it's pure subjectivity. It can't be an object. Another subject can't have an experience of it. We're a pseudo-subject. What we're doing with language all day is we're objects using a subjective language. If you haven't noticed, it's always me, I did this, I did that, da, 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 da. But it's, we're just objects using a subjective language, which confuses us more and more because we keep taking this object as what's the subject. But the subject is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. That's subject. In terms of 12 step, it would be like higher power? Yes. Okay, so higher power is a, well, is a witness. Is a witness. Well, it, everyone has their own conceptions of that. Yeah. My sense of it is, the higher power is always available at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it. So I am that. Or it's a present tense verb. I'm a present tense verb. Tell me the difference. Yeah. There's presence. It's not wasn'ts and willens. It's presence. Yes? There's a vitality and a spontaneity and immediacy of awakeness. It's incessantly on. It's conscious. Yeah. And that what, what occurs is your emphasis of your interest and attention shifts from the mental process, I, me, mine all day, to this other whatever, I'd say non-locality, and then you see differently. You don't, there's no work or striving for it. All for me, all I do is I just tell the truth about what I'm not. That's being the truth of what I am, because that's being conscious. I can see what I'm not. I can see it structure, I see how it's presented, I see the advertising to support it. And so that, after a while of that seeing, it's something occurred where I sense, aha, that must, you know, I am that, so to speak. I am the seeing, not what's being seen. Yeah? I was always identified with what was being seen. The seeing was always going on. That's what's driving addicts crazy. In some respects, they're hyper-conscious. But they're so conscious as Paul, it's driving them freaking crazy. If, they would, if that emphasis would shift, that thing that's driving them crazy would be their peace right now. The same attention. I mean, when I was out there, I was up seven to ten days a lot of times shooting coke. And I'll tell you, I thought, my, my little self-strategy was, I thought I could transcend the mind through drugs. And I'm here to tell you, because I was an expert drug user, there's no transcending of an imaginary place. Yeah? I can't leave what's not so. That was the dilemma. I was busy trying to get out of what I've never been in. Yes, I've never been a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the whole dilemma people have. The whole dilemma in any process, any process is the modality of self-centeredness, one of the major ones, is doing and having, yes? So people, in the beginning, when they enter recovery, they have to be doing and having. It's like, the house is on fire, you've got to tell them where a pail of water is. But there is a fireless state that can be entertained down the road, yes? But right now, the shit's hitting the fan, you want to learn how to turn off the fan, yeah? You're in the hallway of shit and fans, and shit's flying. All right, tell me how to turn off at least a few of the fans, okay? So it seems like you do and have. That worked for me until it didn't. Then I was able to entertain other modalities, which is talked about in our program very strongly. It says you will cease fighting everyone and anything. You will be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. So there goes the doing and having. It will be so incredible, the problem will not exist for you. 
Now that's a damn good solution. Yeah? yeah that's right past the promises on page 84. They say the promises, then they talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So the problem will not exist for you. Yeah? You will be reborn. It's not a reborn. You just, you just realize you were never born, in a sense. You've always been so. Yeah? It's like in St. Francis' prayer. In, in recovery, they used it a lot. It says, it's in self-forgetting. Yeah? It's an activity. You were never branded a self like 20 years ago, and now you're a self. It's a verb, selfing. The mind is making up an illusion and telling a story about conscious contact based on you as the center. You just wake up to that. Yeah? And so now you start having have immunity to thoughts because you're not holding them as yours, and they're definitely not about you. <laughs> and you know what? Immediately, if, one second, if someone I was interested in was in this other room, no matter what I had going on here, there would be my attention would be trying to hear what she has to say because I'm hoping she's talking about me. Yeah, like because I want to know her biblically. You know, so yeah. So I'm I'm doing this thing, but I'm really my attention interest self interest is here because she, maybe she'll save me. You never know. <laughs> my eighth fairy princess. <laughs> so there I'd be, and, and and people are going, Paul, stay here. You're supposed to be doing this. I'm I'm totally in agreement with them, but I can't. My intention's going this way. But as soon as I hear she's talking about Matt, and my name's Paul, by the way, as soon as I hear she's talking about Matt, what happens? I lose interest immediately. Yes? I don't have to take three months of workshops on how to lose interest in conversations in another room. And the exact same thing, you held as a possibility that you aren't the thinker and they're not about you, you would lose interest in the thoughts that are running through your head. This is that's right. You will lose interest. Your attention and interest will stop living in that, that orbit of selfing, and then I don't know where they'll go, but it'll probably enrich your life when your interest and attention is being delivered and directed by something other than self. It has for me. Yeah? Because your interest and attention right now is being driven, directed by self-centeredness. And we've all lived in the system of self-centeredness for so much time. You've gone through every possibility since self-centeredness has to offer. All you're doing is redressing it up and putting on, you know, maybe another location or another name or another guy who's going to save you or something like that. It's the same, same, same old. And the most people can do in self-centeredness is, I will be okay later. They never entertain their okay now. So it's I will be okay later based on something they're going to do or not do. And to me, that's really the drive of self-mind is to be relevant. So it causes you to seem not to be where you actually are, and then it tells you you did something to get there, or you'll be able to have to do something to go back. And it's always about you playing God. Seriously, watch your head. It's playing God constantly, all freaking day. It's trying to tell you, okay... How, if God, if this energy is everywhere, then why aren't you freaking feeling it? If this power is everywhere, why aren't you bumping into it? I would say that we all are in everywhere, but we're not in a sense. We're in a mental special somewhere. We're living this little dream world, like you said, this conceptual presentation of a life that's been neutered. Yeah? All conscious contact claimed by the self. Problems, my problems, my time, my life, my this, my that. By the time it's done with it, it's, it's empty and, or it's, it's lacking that immediacy, that spontaneity, that alertness, that awakeness. It wants to be secure in its knowing. Even if it's miserable, it, at least it knows and it's secure in its little fantasy world. 
This is about a possibility, and you cannot break out of self as self. I just realized I wasn't one. So yeah. is it by not knowing any other state keeps us in this state? I think that's. I think the whole point about coming here is all I needed was to have someone give me the invitation. My mind can entertain unbelievable things, but I'm not being fed that many things to entertain. It's usually the same old, same old here, isn't it? Jesus Christ. We're getting fed in a, such a small meal of possibilities. So our mind is so tunnel-visioned. You can entertain unbelievable possibilities. But it's, it's hearing them, you know, having presented or bumping into it. Yeah. You have to tolerate not knowing, though. I mean, I think this is what needs to be tolerated yeah, because we're insecure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that is insecure is in us. See, that always gets back to the same solution for me. I find it's totally valid that it's super insecure, but I'm not that. Yeah? I know it needs tons of esteem, but I'm not that. Yeah? I know it's flipping out and it really wants to get loaded, but I'm not that. Yeah? I know it's really on the edge. See, to me, living on the edge wasn't getting shot at and shooting dope. It was living on the edge is to have someone unconditional love me for five minutes. You cannot believe the popcorn maker of mine how much I do not deserve that. No freaking way. I deserve this and beat up and, oh, yeah, I'll take that every day. But someone loving me, because all the old ideas of selfing arise. You are not deserving. You don't want to be, this thing's playing God constantly. What we're doing here is, you're not going to be acquitted on this, in this level of judicial system. You are guilty and shameful, for sure. But we're going to bring it to the court of light, and it's annulled there. Like that. Everything gets everything gets null and voided. Yes, where does all guilt and shame rest? It's on personal doership. If you realize you're not, especially in AA, they say you're powerless over alcohol, and so many people still keep claiming the activities they did when they were powerless over alcohol. Doesn't the statement "powerless" mean if I was dancing with a gorilla, I'm going to stop when it wants to stop? I didn't have no say in the matter, and yet I, my mind still harvests guilt and shame out of those past behaviors because it's claiming it. Setting is included in non-goal orientation. Within the addiction field. Yeah, yeah. They're included because the action figure, if you take a look that there was actually never a self, the action figure has a destiny of its own. Like, if I'm going to get cancer, I'll probably get cancer as a body. Yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. What I'm saying is they're not exclusive. So there's planning, there's all this, all that, but it's held more loosely, yes? Because it doesn't have the meaning it used to have. Yeah. But the thing is, see, people get really caught up with that. They think that, oh, if I wasn't a self, then I won't do whatever I used to do. Well, you never did it anyway. There's never been a self. So this action figure has its little destiny, the figure itself. But what's witnessing it or seeing it has always been seen. The consciousness, the consciousness when I, was, when I first put a needle in my arm is the exact same consciousness that now I've been, I'm looking at you through. 22 years 
that later. The consciousness hasn't changed. Its nature never changes. It's never sullied by the effects here. It's witnessing. It's seeing. And you're that. So let's say, see, entertaining I'm that allows this to travel later. And it's a damn good deal. Because you, you, here in duality, you're either going to travel really heavy or really light, you can travel light or heavy. See, in duality, consciousness seems to be unconscious and conscious to us. You see? Everything that's so becomes maybe so, maybe not here. That's the dual, dualistic view or construct. But all there is is consciousness. So when you see your head saying, oh, I'm really conscious today, you don't get taken by that. And when you see, oh, I'm really unconscious, you don't get taken by that. You stay in the sense of consciousness. Because each event is demonstrating consciousness. You're conscious of those thoughts, aren't you? All the, all the uh, information, all, your lo- all the minds locating you, is brought to you by the illumination of consciousness. You wouldn't see the thoughts unless you were conscious that are telling you how the day is going to be. You wouldn't see. So in every event that you have ever been in, consciousness has been available to it. Yeah? Consciousness is the bringer of this life, not you. So in a way, this is in, in Taoism, they would say, turn the light upon itself. Yeah? So our light of attention, the way we're trained here is out. Yeah? We're looking for things to save us. We're looking for things to, to replace the need to know ourselves. Yeah? We believe, like in our society, if you get everything together and right, it will translate into being happy, joyous, free. Obviously, for many, it doesn't work. You get disappointed, it doesn't seem to translate. So people are doing that. Then other people say, okay, well, your body condition will override. Yeah? So if I'm really healthy, everything will be fine. But I see people do yoga 12 hours and they walk out, they're crazy as a loon. Yeah? They're, head. they're obsessing about their body image. And it's not even the body they're obsessing about, it's a mental concept of their body. Yeah? So in this deck of cards, that was the first card I was given. All right, if you go to school and you get everything together and everything looks well, you won't want to ruin it, Paul. You won't want to get loaded. And that, that did not work for me. Then it was, okay, well, I'll get physically healthy and I'll try to fight my mind and have positive thoughts. Well, that didn't actually work either, yeah? Because the outside circumstances can be overridden by my body condition. If I'm ill, it doesn't matter if I have five Ferraris, yeah? It really doesn't. My body condition can be overridden by my mind. I can be super healthy, but my mind's going, oh, what are they thinking of me? Are my pants too short? And all that obsession, that blows it. But in this deck of cards here, there is a spiritual condition that outshines both of those. It outshines your outside circumstances and your body and your mental condition. And that's the witness or the spirit. It's the, to me, it's the ace in the deck here. Yeah? Well, what, what is the difference about, uh, you talk sometimes about being here uh, and being there. Uh, oh, the here and there. The, what is the distinction? What, is, what are you referencing? Well, there's a couple of them. The here, one of the here-there modalities is, so here I am, I'm sitting in my one-bedroom apartment. Everything's fine. Yeah? Nice day, stuff like that. Then I look through a magazine and they have a, a nice full-color printout of a couch. So my mind goes, oh, Jesus. If I, and then it sees the couch, and it really likes the couch, and it looks around the one-bedroom apartment and realizes it's couchless. Yeah? I don't have a couch in this bedroom apartment. And now I was totally okay. I'm starting to feel irritable, restless, and discontent. My mind's now seeking, thinking that if I get that couch, it's going to make everything really great. 
Yeah? So now this here gets invalidated by that there. The there is the couch. And my entertaining it is actually how the mind uses to invalidate the invitation of this moment, which is the only invitation, yeah? So now I start working to get that couch. There's nothing right or wrong with couches, so I'm working, working. But I don't understand that every moment, my mind is invalidating the present moment by that mythical moment when that everything's going to be great when I get that couch. And my mind starts advertising, you know, I bet you I'm going to have a, my first girlfriend will come over and sit on that couch, and I'll conceive my first child on that couch. And the couch is taking these mythical proportions. This is going to be my arrival date when I get that couch. And every day I don't see a couch, it's sort of not too good. Yeah. I'm very unsatisfied. So let's say I finally arrive at that fair. And I'm telling them my friends, but they've had couches before, you know, so they're not that excited. I said, come on over. You can see it. Come in. No, 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 no. So I, they, they, the, the moving company brings the couch, and they bring it in, and I sit on it, and I revel. My arrival date. I've arrived. I've arrived. And then I look around, and I realize I need a rug to match the couch. So now the couch immediately becomes a here, and now I'm on the next there, which is the rug. And this is the mind seeking, 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 seeking. But St. Francis says, what's looking is what you're looking for. Yeah? But when we're, we never look at what's looking. We're just busy looking for. Yeah? We're looking, we're looking for what we're looking at, but not what's looking. And that's the big difference in this kind of understanding, is you recognize or sense the verb of looking. You feel the life of being conscious. Yeah? And your emphasis shifts to me. That's what happened with me. What was in the foreground just moved to the background, and this background moved to the foreground. Or let's say more contextual than content. Yeah? There's just a sense, like coming in here, there's just a sense of being on, you know, awake. It's sort of cool. <laughs> so I can fly here from San Francisco. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing here. I'm doing talk stuff, and I just walk into Fordham University. It's, 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 uh, there's an alertness to it. It's joyous. It's pretty nice. So that kind of turns off the obsession. Oh, totally. I haven't had a thought about drinking and using for years and years and years and years. The problem doesn't exist for me. Why? Because I realize it actually never did exist. It only existed as long as my mental process existed as me of being a self. When that was that shook, a lot of things in this life that seemed so real shook big time. Everything changed in a lot of ways. The camera angle and the tripod got moved, and now, and that's what it's sort of like in a way. Your lens opens up, and then you realize self-centeredness is like, uh, like a manufactured way of closing the aperture. Yeah. So your awareness and consciousness gets sort of tunnel visioned. And almost directed in a lot of ways, ignorantly. And then it happens, it just starts going like this. Yeah. And there's more opening, opening, opening. Yeah. So being and staying in that state, what do you do for entertainment? I surf. <laughs> I boogie board. That's my big entertainment. And I laugh at my head. It's very entertaining. I can't depend on you for entertainment, so my head... I walk around and it's so hilarious what it does. It really is. It's incredible. Now it tries to, it wants to say, okay, I'm ready to join you. Yeah, now that it seems like it felt like it's lost the battle, I, I want to go along with you now. Oh, no, you missed the boat. It's too late. It's just a narrative. It's just a mental process. It has no, it has no true, like, it's definitely not one of the primary functions of living. Yeah? And it's also, if you just look at self-centered, it's a very archaic system. Very archaic. It's 
it's crude, and thoughts, the thoughts are all old, they're just rehashed and represented, and that's basically all it does. It has maybe four or five possibilities in self-centeredness. You may be saved. It will get better later. Everything will be whatever. And it just represents these. And they're like, we've, they're like dead life preservers. You know? We've grabbed onto them, and then we get mad at them and have to rationalize and ex, you know, make excuses because it never delivers the goods. So this could open the door for you to try a new and adventurous state. Totally. Exactly, because you're not formed by the old idea, see? It's not, oh, I don't like this. I don't know what I like. I had to find out. Paul, could you talk to the Heaven's Gate story? Oh, the, all right. Then, you want to ask first question? Yeah. I was going to ask you, do you find that the world finds your perspective refreshing and interesting? For a few days. <laughs> <laughs> then they go home and think about it. And it doesn't work out. Really? Now, that's my experience, really. I do this a lot. I've shared a lot around the, a, a lot of places. And, you know, I usually have to leave before three days are up, or they, they'll turn on me. Angry moms. As soon as they think about it with the system of self-centeredness, it, they always find a reason why it's not for them. Not always. Some people, Jeff and other people, have gotten into it. But a lot of people, if I was a self, it would be very disappointing. <laughs> Presenting this, literally, because you're not going to get... It's, uh, first of all, it's a terrible career choice because I have to become obsolete. Because you are that. You don't need me whatsoever. I'm just here to invite you to entertain something that's already so. I'm actually offering you nothing. So it's not a really good commodity to sell. But you also, you can't return it. So once you get it, it's on you. You can serve the spiritual subpoena, so to speak. Yeah, so it is, no, a lot of, some people, it varies, but generally, uh, no. I mean, an everyday relating. How does it, how does it go in everyday? For oh, for me, it's fine. Yeah. Unless it's not. <laughs> Things happen, you know. Right now, it's pretty good. I could be surfing in California, though, in Fordham, and the, the, wherever. <laughs> getting over that but see the point is with this entertaining you can't you don't go there you can't be in California surfing because there's something happening you get grounded see I want to go we'll go to Heaven's Gate but I want to go into this other thing what's happening what's not happening yeah this is a big one because most people in their mental experience are entertaining what's not happening yeah so in what's not happening so let's say next Friday and what's not happening, anything can happen. Yeah. This is why the mind loves it, because it can, it, can, it can, like, John Coltrane it. It can just riff. What could possibly happen to me next Friday? All based on the conditioning of the, and memory. So you can have cancer next Friday. You can be healthy as an ox right now, but you can be, have cancer next Friday. And if you're, my, if you're addicted to this mental process, which you will be as a self, because that is the mental process, I mean, <laughs> you will be, your attention and interest will be bonded to where the mental process goes, and when it goes into what's not happening, and it starts telling, starts saying, hey, I could have cancer, or my girlfriend's going to be sleeping with my best friend next Friday, or I'll have no money, and, and all the meaning that you give those events. See, it's not the event itself, it's the meaning that's injected with them. Like, it's terrible if my girlfriend sleeps with this guy. So that meaning that the mind injects in it, it actually downloads now into the body. So you have a body experience 
based on a mental process. The mental process is in, a, in what's not happening, and it has... See, I think fear is a valid emotion, right? If in life, if you're lucky, maybe 15 times in your life, there was really a fearful situation, like getting run over by a car or somebody, whatever. But most people are living in anxiety, mental anxiety, which is producing the physiological effects of fear, but with nothing, no threat in the moment. But, so all the threats are being brought to you by what's not happening. You have to go into what's not happening to download the anxiety now. Because there's nothing to be worried about now, is there? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, you can tell yourself that uh, you know this is you're creating this perception, but when you have, when let's say uh, working with clients who have severe trauma, I mean, uh, you know, trauma changes the structure of the brain. Yeah. So they, it, like it doesn't. Ha- it takes lots of training to change. about thinking it though. See, this is just an imitation and the mind entertains it. It may seemingly actually combat it with thinking, but the, how the mind entertains it isn't by thought. It's part of its nature. It's the mind, it's consciousness. So it's just an imitation to sort of entertain its own nature, or at least recognize its own nature, which is not thinking, it's the seeing of the thinking. Yeah? I think we could revisit the question too when we come back together thing I'd like to say is also here in this appearance, there's lots of levels. So on certain levels, when someone's house is on fire, the best you do is show them a source of water and help them with the pails. Yes? But this is, this is something that can be entertained, which will bring relief on any level, but it's not, it's not, um, that's like a byproduct. It doesn't have any intent or purpose to be of help in a way. It's just an awareness of things and of no things, yeah? What it can do is, like when I'm working, if someone calls me up and they tell me their house is on fire, I don't talk to them from here. I say, hey, get to a meeting, or, you know, call up your sponsor or do this, write it out, like it says in recovery. If you have a problem, write about it. So if someone presents that they have a problem, I'm not going to say, well, you don't have a problem. You know, if they come to the meeting, I'll talk about there is no one who has a problem the ones that I conduct, but I'll say, go home and write about it. Yeah, because that's where they think they are. And of course, this is a subjective experience here, because this mind's playing God and taking itself to be the subject, and this subject can cast you in very low realms and very middle realms and very high realms here. There's a lot of different levels of people who need help and ability to understand. But this is saying, this is a, not about a level. This is about what's prior to a level. Can it be of help or not? I can see Caesar's intention, and maybe I think it can. But if someone came to me and was like that, I would not give him this message. I would say, hey, bro, let's go, you know, go somewhere, hang out, take a walk, take a hike. They don't need to hear that, because then if they apply the self-centered, 
the system of thought to say, I'm not another thought, which is self. It's ridiculous. That's self trying to get out of self. This is an invitation, hopefully. See, the envelope is conceptual, and it's in words. But I'm hoping you'll sense something that's in the envelope that isn't of word or conception. It's a resonance, hopefully. You'll feel something from being here, yes? You'll sense a presence. It may, and that's the real message. That presence is the presence of being conscious. Yeah. The words are just words. They're just invitations. But the envelope isn't... Don't take home and read the envelope. Open it and just sense, yeah, you are that. So, you want to go... What's the Heaven's Gate? You want to do Heaven's Door? Uh, would you do us the Heaven's Door just to give us an All idea? Right. Because the question is uh, about new possibilities. And uh, I thought it was sort of a relevant uh, metaphor. And then we'll take the break after. All right. So here's the one I use a lot in the workshop for recovery, you know, in AA. So there's a guy, and there's, he gets uh, he goes up to heaven's door and knocks on the door. Yeah? And so God answers the door, and he says, Hey, God, can I come in? And God looks at him, looks at me, and goes, Paul, you can't come in. So I walk away a little dejected, and I decide I'm going to become spiritual. Yeah? I'm going to go to the Himalayas and meditate. And so I get the whites and patchouli oil and incense and start looking you know, lovingly at others and all this practicing, and now I feel like I got a good spiritual resume. I think I deserve to get in there. So I go back and knock on the door. God answers the door, and I say, can I come in? And I'm, you know, got my bags, everything. He says, no, no, Paul can't come in. So I'm like, what? So I get real, actually sort of pissed off. So I go back out there, and I start running around, going out with everybody and everything like this. And then something happens, and I get washed up on the shores right near that door, and something occurs. There's a little a break in my selfing. I get startled. That's why I call it Zen bitch slap. Because selfing's a verb. You can startle it. That's for sure. So I get startled into something. So I, now I knock on the door. And God answers it. I said, can I come in? And he looks at me again and goes, Paul can't come in. And I walk right in. Yeah? Because he actually wasn't saying I can't come in. He was just stating a fact. Paul can't come in. The idea of being what you're not cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? So I was the one who was exiling, quote-unquote, me all this time. I was the one who was putting on requirements into entering the kingdom of heaven. I was the one who was playing God. Yes? As soon as that dropped, I walked right in. There you go. I love that. So you don't even have to walk in. You're already there. Yeah, just look around. And then see, who, see what's looking. Yeah? What is that? You cannot ever see it, and then you'll realize you're not the subject. You cannot see what's looking. You just see from what's looking. Yeah. Uh, Paul, thank you very, very kindly. Oh, you're welcome.